All right. Welcome back in to the Ari Marov NFL show. It is already week eight somehow. Time is flying. Joined here today by Brad Spielberger. Brad, if I told you before this season that in week eight, we'll have the Ravens, Bucks, Packers, Bills, 49ers, Rams all on the schedule, but the Seahawks Giants game will be the only one between winning records. What would your reaction be? Yeah, I would have told you you were crazy. Uh, you know, I think looking at the Giants' schedule and the lack of you know, good opponents, maybe you could make an argument. But they've also beaten some good teams in Green Bay and Baltimore and Seattle. Uh, you know, hand raised. They're a team that I was just wrong on. I still don't know if I totally believe in the Giants, the Jets, some other teams. But I, I'm buying Seattle right now. I thought they were a you know top five pick candidate. Uh, I was wrong on that one. Yeah, this entire season so far has been just stunning all around. I mean, these teams that we all expected to win the divisions are currently under 500, as we mentioned, the Giants and Seahawks, which might just be the game of the week um, coming up here um, this week in Seattle. We'll talk about both those teams later on, but I actually want to start with something else that really stunned me this week, and that was what happened in Indianapolis, another team that I think we were all expecting a better year out of them and they bench Matt Ryan he has a shoulder injury but despite that they are still going to bench him for the rest of the year and you know I'll raise my hand I thought the move from Matt Ryan during the offseason was a brilliant move especially considering how they moved on from Carson Wentz when everyone knew they were moving on they were able to, they were able to get some good draft pick competition but this has not worked out um, a league high nine interceptions. He's fumbled the ball, I believe, 11 times. He's been sacked 24 times, which is um, a league high. And his PFF grade is, I believe, around 57 or 58 right now in the league, which is um, bottom four among all court qualifying quarterbacks. Let me just ask you this before I get started. Um, the idea of benching Matt Ryan, we'll talk about the contract as well. How surprised were you? And do you think there's an element of it that they just want to see Sam Ellinger right now? They just don't believe it. You know, I, I am surprised, frankly, before you kind of dive into how they played and how bad the offensive line has been. I mean, head coach Frank Reich did essentially admit we failed him. Like we thought we'd have a good offensive line, a good run game, and then he would only have to maybe throw the ball a little bit less and just be efficient and not you know give games away. And instead, he's dropping back 40, 50 times a game and has to play hero ball um, behind a bad offensive line with kind of no help around him. So I am surprised. But, you know, once the injury happened, I know they said that it's not just about the injury. They're going to make this move regardless but once the injury happened i think it gives them an out they also you know avoid him getting hurt and and his entire 2023 compensation becoming guaranteed by way of you know an, an injury as opposed to right now just part of that money is is guaranteed which is still going to hurt next year so i think that's a factor as well see what sam ellinger has and frankly i, I think both gm chris ballard and frank reich uh, are on the hot seat, which is also a crazy thing to say, um, you know, before we start the season. But I think that's probably true. That's the thing about this, that the contract element, which I didn't realize when the news happened, I believe is playing a big part of it because after their loss on Sunday to Tennessee, Frank Reich was asked about Matt Ryan and if he's still the quarterback. And this is what he said. And then the tone completely changed on Monday. We're going to play the video here and just show the differences. Where are you at with your quarterback right now? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I thought, and Matt's our quarterback. I mean, it's always a collective thing. We'll, we'll look at the tape closely. Okay, uh, had a chance to watch the film. I wanted to, to note that we are going to make a significant change uh, to the starting lineup. We are going to elevate Sam to be the starting quarterback. Right now, the move is for Sam to be the starter the rest of the season. 
So there you go. So it was starting quarterback on Sunday. He's benched on Monday morning. And you mentioned the contract. So he has $12 million guaranteed no matter what next year. He has another $17 million that could become guaranteed if he can't pass the physical by the third day of the new league year in March. So that's potentially $39 million that could become guaranteed if this injury just gets worse um, moving forward. Do you believe this was a Jim Mercy move? It was a money move. It was, listen, he's not playing well. There might be an additional $17 million I'm going to have to pay. Do you think Jim Irsay, who has been in the news a lot lately, especially for what happened with Dan Snyder, has just gone rogue and is like, you know what? It's not working. Let's just see what Sam's got. I do. I think it was a major part of the decision here. I mean, again, I think if he was playing, you know, top 15 or top 20 level quarterback play, it's not even in their mind whatsoever. But you point out bottom five right now in PFF grading for us, uh, you know, only has five passes over 30 yards downfield. And yes, a large part of that is the offensive line, but complete lack of mobility. And then number two, I mean, Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce, your top two guys are downfield catchers. I mean, Pittman can kind of get open on slants and stuff like that, but that's how they win, especially Alec Pierce. I, you know, when I watch this tape at, at Cincinnati, he wins downfield. That's kind of what he brings to the table. So you need a guy that can move out of the pocket, maybe dance around, create some time. And then Ellinger, you know, I'm not a huge fan. He went in the sixth round for a reason, but he can throw the ball pretty far and he ran like a ton at Texas. So, you know, I think it changes things, changes the dynamic of the offense. It's not entirely the contract, but I think that was a major part of this decision. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's quite ironic that the Falcons offensive line is, I, I guess, much better than the Colts offensive line right now, which I don't think anybody anticipated happening. I mean, the Colts, their strength for a number of years now have been the offensive line, and they're all pretty highly paid as well when it's Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and um, – and um, their right tackle, whose name um, Braden Smith, um, who I'm looking for, is also very, very highly paid. And they have been shuffling around all year long. It has not panned out. You mentioned Frank Reich. You mentioned Chris Ballard. It's stunning to me to think that they could be on the hot seat. If you were Jim Mercer right now, do you give them another year? Because the reality is, like, drafting-wise, they've been fine. For agency-wise, they haven't been that aggressive. The quarterback position, position since Andrew Luck retired has been a disaster. Do they get one more shot at this if they don't make the playoffs, which I think most people don't believe they will? I guess what I would say is it's tough in that, you know, I don't want to ever tell a GM what to do or give an ultimatum or guide their decisions. But I would say, hey, look, no more Band-Aids at quarterback like you need to, you know what, put your foot down, draft a guy early in the NFL draft. And I want to see what happens there. They, of course, you know, will now give a third round pick to Washington instead of a second round pick, presumably. Uh, or excuse me, get one, get one, not not give one, um, you know, with Wentz getting hurt in Washington and, and not earning these snap percentages that I'm sure he probably won't now. Um, but still, they have some draft capital. They should be drafting probably in the top half of the draft at this point, at least. Um, it's tough, though, because then if you do that, how can you then fire Reich or Ballard after his rookie season, arguably even after his second season? So it's it's a tough dynamic. But at, at the same time, as bad as the luck situation was, when you've made this many decisions at quarterback that have kind of been so-so, Phil Rivers was pretty good, but, you know, I, you know, it's just – I'm not really giving a good answer, but it's tough. I mean, they have, over the long haul, done well drafting. They don't really spend in free agency, which, frankly, I think has more to do with, to do with Ursay than them. Um, but the last couple of classes haven't been spectacular, and, and maybe it's just kind of a clean exit. That being said, both guys, I think we get hired by other teams in, in 10 seconds. 
That's what I thought as well. Like if they do get let go, I think immediately both those guys get second interviews no matter what. Um, but I guess we still have time for that. But the quarterback thing, I mean, Chris Ballard a couple of years ago was asked about why don't you draft quarterbacks? And he basically said, listen, if I draft one, you guys might leave me alone for a year or two. But if that guy doesn't work out, then I'm out of here. So it's not about drafting one. It's about finding the right one. And in his mind, he has not seen the one to draft up until this point. They also haven't had a first-round pick in two of the last three drafts because of the Carson Wentz trade and um, the Arik Ar- uh, um, DeForest Buckner trade. I'm confused with Arik Armstead, but um, yeah, DeForest Buckner trade. So they will have one this year, and we'll see if they end up going in that direction if they do end up still having their jobs. Let me talk about the two teams we started this episode with, the Giants, the Seahawks. Um, again, it's unreal to think that this is um, – the one game this week that everyone might be looking forward to, but um, the six and one New York Giants. Let me start off with this. Um, have you given any thought about how the Giants will eventually have to approach the Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley situation? Because both of them are going to be free agents after this year. You mentioned the schedule before. They're six and one right now. We're putting it up on the screen over here. They have the Seahawks this week. There's the Texans, the Lions. The Commanders twice, the Colts now of Sam Allinger most likely. There are a lot of winnable games here on this schedule, and the coaching staff, of course, has been phenomenal. And Saquon and Daniel Jones have also been pretty good. Daniel Jones is not making that many mistakes. Have you given thought about how they should approach this thing if this keeps on going? It is a very fascinating situation because I've often said that teams need to be more – now that we've changed it, right, and fifth-year options become fully guaranteed at exercise as opposed to in the past they were only injury guaranteed and then they became fully guaranteed later on. What I said was if you're not 100% sold or close to 100% sold, you should not exercise it because you can just franchise tag the player after the season. Yes, it costs a little bit more. Daniel Jones' fifth-year option, I believe, is around $21 million. His franchise tag will cost a decent amount more than that. But I always said it's worth taking that risk, spending a little bit of extra money, in large part because if you do think he's good enough to franchise tag, you might be extending him anyway. So that was always my my rationale in thinking of why teams should be willing to take that risk more often. Though, when you have a second player that you also think might be eligible and good enough to receive a franchise tag, and Saquon Barkley at a much cheaper, about $12.6 million is our projection over the cap right now, a much cheaper price, then it complicates the situation. And then maybe you lose one of those guys when you don't want to because you can't franchise tag them. So it may I don't want to say backfire. I think it's the wrong word. I think Jones has been pretty good. They're using his legs more. They're putting him in position to succeed. He's turned the ball over infinitely less uh, than in the past couple of years. It's a good problem to have. I would still go with that. It's, you know, even if you view it as a bad outcome, it's the best bad outcome in the world that they're six and one and have these tough decisions. So I'm sure they're contemplating it. I'm sure they're mulling it all over. Um, we'll see, though. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. Right now, I mean, Saquon Barkley is that entire offense. I think he might be, you know, the early lean on where you put that franchise tag if if that's the route you go. Yeah, we actually had this similar situation in 2020 with the Titans when Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry were supposed to be free agents. They ended up getting an extension done with Ryan Tannehill right before free agency, and they franchise tagged Derrick Henry, got a deal done with him as well a few months later. I mean, I'm just thinking about the Giants entering this season. Their first round picks from 2018 to 2020 were Saquon, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and Andrew Thomas. At one point or another, 
all those guys were considered disappointments and they've all been just amazing so far this year. So it's been quite the turnaround for all those guys. The other thing I wanted to ask you about this Giants team is, I guess, not really ask, do you remember the, the Buffalo Bills 2017 year, right? When they were supposed to be a bad team, it was Brandon Beans and Sean McDermott's first year and they were supposed to be a bad team and they somehow made the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor. I don't know why, but this team is a bit reminiscent of that, where we all thought they should be bad. They're playing pretty good. And I'm not just I'm just not sure if this personnel staff and coaching staff is still all the way in with Daniel Jones. Could they pull a Tyrod Taylor on him after this year and just move on because they want to find their own quarterback? Does that make any sense to you? I mean, somebody brought this up to me. I think I also mentioned it in a previous episode recently, but it's fairly reminiscent to me. And it's kind of fitting that the two guys running this team right now are from Buffalo. And Tyrod Taylor is also on the New York Giants. <laughs> yeah, roster. there you go. So I guess the, uh, the connections continue. Yeah, and I think that is a great way to look at it because they did the same thing where they purged a lot of the big contracts on the roster, got rid of some talented players. A guy like James Bradbury, they had no issue with him as a player, but just kind of they knew they weren't necessarily in a competitive window right away. The team then outperformed, like you said, in Buffalo, had one of the worst playoff games of all time against the Jacksonville Jaguars that year. But they were still smart and said, we made the decision. This team needed kind of a, a bit of a retooling, a rebuild. We're not quite there yet. I think you mentioned, though, the growth of their first rounders, plus you have two top 10 picks this year and Kayvon Thibodeau and Evan Neal, Wandale Robinson coming on their second round pick. So, you know, they are ahead of schedule, but I think it would still be prudent for them to say, we're evaluating the entire body of work, not a seven game stretch against some poor teams. And like you said, the remaining schedule is not super solid going forward. So, don't overreact to one season. If that's the decision you think is smartest, go with that. But also, if you if you are a believer and a buyer, maybe try to find a way to navigate that as well. Um, it's going to be a fascinating offseason for Joe Shane and Brian Dable. It is. And I don't know if they were anticipating it to get to this point. I mean, I know they wouldn't tell you that on the record, but um, I'm not sure if they were expecting a six and one start and all these great players um, playing the way they have. Let's flip over to Seattle team they're playing this week. Um, their draft, and we're going to put this up courtesy of Good Morning Football. I mean, Charles Cross starting at left tackle. Kenneth Walker has been awesome at running back. Abraham Lucas is starting, has started every game at right tackle. Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen are starting at cornerback. It is mind-blowing to me that this is a team, and our producer here, Stone Rochelle, is a big Seahawks fan, so I'm sure he's I'm very excited about this. It's mind-blowing to me that this team had an awesome draft, I believe, in 2012. Then went seven eight straight years where it was fairly lackluster. And then they turn around, come back this year, and just completely blow it out of the waters. How do you explain what John Schneider pulled off in this draft? It really is crazy. Like you said, the 2012 was when they had Wagner and a lot of those guys. Then they got Russell Wilson, and then it was just gangbusters from there on out. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating because it, it shows you sometimes all it can take is just really nailing it in one draft class to change the entire trajectory of your franchise. And I'm reminiscent of the New Orleans Saints in 2017. Drew Brees had kind of started to show, you know, a little bit of, you know, lack of arm strength and things like that. But then you land Ryan Ramchick, maybe the best right tackle in football. You get all these phenomenal players on defense. You bring in, I mean, just, just a remarkable, remarkable draft class, Marcus Williams, all these players, and it changes everything. And, and you're back to square one. You're trying to then 
you know, say, hey, look, we have, you know, we have a defense now with Trey Hendricks, and we have all these guys. Let's go back in again and see if we can kind of push the chips into the center of the table. So he knocked out of the park. The, the graphic didn't even have Boye Mafe, who I think is starting to play a little bit better each week off the edge. A guy I loved coming out of Minnesota. That's how good this class is. He's not even on the graphic, and I think he's been a solid rookie. So it's just it shows that. You know, John Schneider, we, we, we ranked GMs and he was too low on our list. They did have, you know, objectively a pretty bad stretch of drafting for a long time. But he has knocked this one out of the park 110%. And this team is in a great situation now going forward with extra draft capital to maybe do it again. I think after we finished that GM ranking show and we didn't put John Schneider in the top 15 or 16, I sent you a text that I got from a personnel member who said, all right, you guys need to have John Schneider on there. And I guess um, that guy was right. And John Schneider, I'm sure will probably be back on the list whenever we do that again um, in the off season. That Saints 2017 class, by the way, it was Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, Alvin Kamara, and Trey Hendrickson all in the same draft. And as you said, it probably prolonged Drew Brees' career of course they just barely missed making a super bowl with that roster and um the seahawks team i mean we were talking about in the offseason about oh Pete carroll is 70 years old does he want to be in a rebuild they should probably get jimmy garoppolo and here we are with geno smith who has been fantastic and this rookie draft class which has been playing way above um standards for them speaking of the seahawks they have the broncos first round pick come next year and russell wilson their quarterback there in denver um from that trade and the two and five teams actually the saints are two and five the browns are two and five the broncos are two and five all those teams don't have their first round picks come next year um i guess a straightforward question from those teams here on this list which one the two and five teams which ones are you actually most concerned about that their season might be going in the complete wrong direction right now I got to go with the Denver Broncos. Uh, I mean, they're in that AFC West, that gauntlet division. They've already lost the Chargers and Raiders. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. They still have both games against the Chiefs remaining. Uh, both uh, games, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, now they're over in London. They're, you know, underdogs against the Jacksonville Jaguars in London. Then have to fly back to have their bye. But then they have Tennessee, Las Vegas again soon. So, you know, with the Browns, obviously, I think you can just say, look, we're not even playing our starting quarterback. We can kind of brush that off. Um, the Saints, I mean, I, I saw this coming. I think a lot of people saw this coming. I'm certainly concerned about them, but they can probably just kind of hit the reset button a little bit, kind of start things over. With the Broncos, I mean, this is kind of the roster, right? I, I mean, you've you've already extended a lot of players on this team, made some big moves in free agency. Obviously, Russell Wilson, you know, the $49 million per year contract to quarterback. So it's, it's going to be hard to kind of get better around this team. Um, so for them, you know, for that reason, they, uh, they're, they're concerning going forward, no question. Yeah, I mean, it, a loss to the Jaguars in London on Sunday, and I think the chatter around their head coach, Nathaniel Lacken, number one, and then the players on the trade market. The trade deadline is on November 2nd. That is coming up on Tuesday. I want to talk about some of the trades that already went down, but let me just quickly move over to the players who might be traded. If Denver loses on Sunday, do you see them potentially moving on from guys like a Bradley Chubb, a Jerry Judy, a KJ Hamler, those type of guys who teams are interested in, right? Do you see them maybe looking at, you know, what? we don't have a first and second round pick next year. That belongs to Seattle right now. We are not in it right now. We still have two more games of Kansas City, like you just mentioned. Should we just pull the plug on some of these players who are near the end of their rookie contracts? 
I think Chubb makes the most sense because we mentioned they went out and signed Randy Gregory to a five-year, $70 million deal. He looked really good before going on injured reserve with a, with a knee scope. Um, and then second round or third rounder, excuse me, from last year, Baron Browning, they converted from off-ball linebacker to a true edge rusher, and he's been a phenomenon. Also, unfortunately, hurt as well now, but was playing really, really good football. And so when you have Chubb on his fifth-year option right now, you probably have two players that, I mean, right now are playing better than him. And he's a great player, has a high grade for us has five and a half sacks which i think leads the team you know has been good but if you know you're not going to probably pay him because of all those contracts we mentioned that have already paid out it probably makes a lot of sense to look for a trade market there and then kj hamler obviously battled injuries almost his entire rookie contract at this point probably a guy you're not going to keep around long term i would explore that one for me i think it's still early with jerry judy i know he's been a little bit frustrated we've seen some you know chats on the sidelines and, and and things are going great but a really, really good player on a rookie deal still. You have the fifth-year option at your disposal there because the first-round pick. That one, I think, I'm only doing if I get a remarkable offer. I mean, maybe multiple seconds or maybe even a first-round pick. I don't know if anyone's going to offer that. But Chubb and Hamler and a guy like a Kwan Williams on defense and, and the secondary, Melvin Gordon at running back, of course, who knows his situation. Those names, I think, are more you know worth monitoring than a Jerry Judy. Bradley Chubb's 82.9 pass rushing grade this year is the best mark of his career. And as you mentioned, he'll be a free agent after the year. The Broncos got a second and third last year for Von Miller, who was on an expiring contract as well. I think it's noteworthy to mention that the Rams are probably looking for a pass rusher, and they just tried to trade um, a second-round pick and more for Christian McCaffrey, and they failed. So I'm sure they're going to look around and try to make a different move here as they come out of their buy. I want to talk about that Christian McCaffrey trade for a second. I haven't done a show since it happened. This is a swing of all swings. And I'm just, listen, they gave up a lot, two, three, four, five. I just, I don't know. I, I don't understand exactly what Kyle Shannon has been trying to do when it comes to running backs. And I know Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the league, arguably, especially when he's healthy. And in this offense, if he's healthy, it's going to be something special, hopefully. But he's had success with Mostert, with Breida, with Jeff Wilson. These guys are all undrafted players. He had success with Elijah Mitchell, who was a sixth-round pick. And then he traded up for guys like Trey Sermon and Joe Williams and Tyron Prince this year, and they haven't panned out. He paid a lot of money for Jerry McKinney. He didn't work out. Now he's swinging for the fences for Christian McCaffrey. I just feel like, and I know a lot of 49ers fans are very excited about this. This offense will be incredible, and maybe it will. But I feel like we better see something very special out of Christian McCaffrey in order to justify this. We see a lot of GMs kind of chase their mistakes, right? And they double down and try to, you know, it doesn't go well with one decision. So then instead of maybe saying, oh, let's take a step back and reevaluate, they try to just like fix it right away and make a, you know, kind of an, imp um, an impulse decision to, to make a major trade. And I agree. I, I think it's going to be dynamic on offense. I think they're going to scheme up some remarkable things. He'll play in the slot. Him and Debo Samuel can be, you know, almost kind of played anywhere on the field. They're going to do great things. But what I come back to is for any of these decisions, if you don't have quarterback figured out, it just makes it way more difficult to justify. And then, look, their defense is elite. There's no question about it. It's a very, very good defense. But Patrick Mahomes goes in there on the road in San Francisco. They had the worst EPA per play allowed of any team in any game this entire season. That's, that's what a good quarterback can do. I don't care how good your defense is because good quarterbacks and good offenses 
tend to beat good defenses. So I get it. I think they're also just looking around the NFC picture. The Rams are down in their division. The Cardinals are down. The Seahawks are leading the division at four and three. You have this hip, uh, the NFC South where the Bucks are three and four and lead that division. So, you know, I think a lot of it also is maybe looking around the NFC and seeing maybe it's worth it for us to make that push. But the disaster potential here of no first second, first or second round pick now because of Trey Lance. It's just, and then also the contract with McCaffrey that comes over three years, 36 million. Yes, they can manipulate it or extend him or whatever, but you got to pay Nick Bosa maybe $30 million a year. Mike McGlinchey is a pending free agent at right tackle who's a good player, not a great player, but a good player. It's just, it's it's going to be fascinating how they approach it can't be a rental you know given how much they gave up for them so it has to go well otherwise it's going to look really bad in hindsight you know it's definitely an all-in move and i was just wondering how much of this was we don't want the rams to get him you know what i mean like how much of that played a role because you're giving up a two three four and five i feel like with the trade deadline approaching there are some other players you could probably get with those picks and let's just use elijah mitchell and jeff wilson for now and let's add another pass rusher whatever it is anybody else with those picks do you feel like they're just the rams are just so much in their heads right now that they were competing with them and the rams wanted them also but they added the extra four just to make sure the rams don't get it i think it's entirely possible i do i think when we see in a division or in a conference when they see another team sniffing around or they know for a fact another team is in that market and i think you know it was kind of not obvious but you know i, I think the rams being involved there was very apparent we already knew cam Akers wanted out of town Darrell Henderson is on the way out soon, not really in their long-term plans, and just who the Rams are as an organization, it made sense. So I do, and it's probably not a great way to go about your business, but obviously they're old buddies. The Rams just beat them in the NFC Championship game, even though historically the, the 49ers have kind of had the Rams number. I do. I think it spurred the decision. They kind of came out of nowhere, it seemed like. Um, and, and I think they, they just uh, – keeping him off a roster mattered just as much as maybe getting him on their roster. Well, those two teams are going to be facing off against each other this week. And the NFC West is still very much up for grabs. The Seahawks are currently in sole possession of first place, which I'm sure nobody was anticipating when the season started. I want to quickly hit on the Panthers' outlook on this as well, because they've now added a two, a three, a four for McCaffrey, plus a future five and a future six and seven for Robbie Anderson. That, obviously, in my opinion, is very smart. I mean, we're rebuilding. Let's hit the reset button with some of these players who are not in our future plans. They have foundational pieces here with DJ Moore, Brian Burns, JC Horn, um, Derek Brown, Jeremy Chin. I don't think they look to move those guys. I think they want those guys there for their next head coach. In my mind, I feel like this rebuild has the potential to be a little bit faster than I think most people were expecting just based off those pieces they already have. Plus getting a new head coach who will probably be better than my role and then having all these draft picks and most likely a high first round pick come April. I think the key, too, is that a lot of the talent you mentioned is at the premium positions. It's so much harder. You know, you look, you have a number one wide receiver. You have a good edge rusher and a good interior defensive lineman and Brian Burns and Derek Brown. You might have both tackles solved with Ike Aquanu coming along and playing better. Really, all it is is quarterback, which, of course, we can't just say all it is. That's the hardest thing to do in this entire sport. But it's supposed to be a good class. I'm a huge fan of some of the guys in this class. And so, yeah, if you can drop a rookie and say you have a solid offensive line, you have a number one receiver, they need to add pretty much every other receiver beyond him. But again, it's harder to add at those spots. If you need to add some linebackers and corners or they have corner and safety, like they have pretty much every premium spot set to a degree. And then you can fill out, you know, interior offensive line and, and just kind of some, some less expensive spots in free agency um, and in the draft. 
It does. It, it has the makings of potentially a much quicker rebuild. If they hit on a quarterback, they could be good pretty quickly, which is fascinating because the NFC South outside of them is kind of trending in the opposite direction. That's the thing. The thing about the NFC South, I mean, we're looking at Tampa Bay right now, and Tom Brady might not be there next year. The Saints, their draft pick situation and their salary cap situation is in not a healthy situation right now. Atlanta is still one more year away from getting out of all those terrible contracts. This has the potential to be something where they could quickly turn it around next year and at least, you know, try to be in that division come next year if they're able to get all these things right. The crazy thing, which is just wild to me, if Tampa Bay loses on Thursday night and carries Carolina wins on Sunday. The Panthers have sole possession of first place. It's insane. They will be 3-0 in the division with wins over Tampa, New Orleans, and um, Atlanta. They would be in first place, which is just insanity. I mean, it just shows how bad that division has been so far this year. Going from um, um, tanking to first place in a matter of two weeks. That would be um, quite impressive. Okay, last thing I want to hit on. We mentioned the trade deadline. Let's just talk about some other players who could be available here. I think it's worth noting that a team that is two and five right now, if they win on Sunday or three and five, they probably feel much better about themselves than being two and six. That might sway some things. But um, who are some names that you're keeping an eye on? And I guess I'll toss some names as well after you. Yeah, you know, I think Pittsburgh, it's been tough for them to kind of come to grips with where they're at, um, you know, kind of chasing a little bit the post Big Ben situation. But I, I think Chase Claypool just makes a ton of sense. Um, we've obviously talked about him. And then maybe the Raiders as well. They already obviously moved Jonathan Hankins, the nose tackle, uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. I think it was kind of a win-win trade for both parties there. The Raiders drafted two interior guys. Neil Farrell started to play more and more um, instead of Jonathan Hankins. Um, yeah, th th those two teams I think stick out to me as maybe, you know, the Raiders can't totally tear it down, but maybe sell and get ready for next year. Pittsburgh as well. Um, and, you know, and then we talk talked about Denver, but I think they're an obvious one as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a few. I mentioned this name to you privately. And I put in. I put an article out this morning about just some trade deadline names to keep an eye on. Somebody mentioned to me the Saints and Marcus Davenport, who is in the final year of his rookie contract. Um, the Saints season has not gone the way they were expecting, and he's had a pretty good year. I mean, his PFF grade, I believe, is right under 80, and he's going to be a free agent after the year. I don't think they've had any serious negotiations. As we mentioned, their cap situation is not a great great, great spot right now. They don't have a first-round pick next year. They don't have a second-round pick the year after that. Could they look to move him? That's a name that I'm keeping an eye on come Tuesday. And the other one, also in New Orleans, Marcus Calloway had a pretty good year for them last year. I know they didn't have that many receivers last year. He's taken a bit of a backseat this year. Thanks to all the new names that they've added. Um, he's going to be a restricted free agent after this season. I could see him being moved if they're able to get any sort of draft compensation. He's a bit of a similar situation as James Robinson, who was just traded this week. Both players will be restricted free agents after the year. Just wanted to get one more thing out of you. The James Robinson trade, I just mentioned it. Your thoughts on that deal? I know they gave up a fifth round pick most likely for a running back after Brees Hall got injured. But for me... It just feels like it's a message to the team. Hey, I know we just had injuries, but we're still all gas, no break on this season. What do you think of that trade? I think that's fair. And you're trying to sell a locker room that, I mean, has guys asking for trades <laughs> fairly <laughs> yeah. regularly. Say, look, we know we've been bad. We know it's been hard to play for this team, this franchise. Even though, you know what, we may not be making the playoffs or making a deep playoff run this year, we're still going to act like it. We're still going to have the mentality of until we lose a bunch of games, we're 5-2. and two. The Patriots just lost on Monday, so, you know, they're kind of sitting up there in the AFC East, a very competitive AFC East, but have the win in hand against Miami, 
Um, you know, obviously Buffalo's not going to get caught, I think, by anyone in the entire conference. But, no, I get that angle for sure. Um, but I will say, I mean, it, it is interesting. I don't think I've ever seen a condition where they go on the total rushing yards and you take the Jacksonville Jaguars yards <laughs> and then you have to add the 240 extra. Yeah, there's no chance he's going to hit that unless, I suppose, he gets healthy. One other key, though. He's a restricted free agent, like you mentioned. So you do kind of get him realistically for two years, right? It's kind of being viewed as, oh, it's a guy on an expiring deal. Well, yes, but they'll give him the, the, probably a second round tender, um, you know, to stay next year for probably what, four or five million dollars or so, um, and then make a decision after that. So I don't love it, but I get it. And I think your narrative and all that is fair. It's like, look, we had to sell guys on wanting to come here, on, you know, wanting to stay here, work hard, and also just showing them like, we're not giving up. We are not letting in. We're going to keep pushing and, and trying to make a real run here. Yeah, I was wondering about that condition as well. Apparently, the Jets were the ones to reach out about it on Monday morning. So I guess it just came together really quickly. And they're like, you know, we'll just do it, I guess. I mean, I'm guessing that's what probably happened. But I've never seen a condition like that. But yeah, they're 5-2. and two. Patriots, two out of the next three weeks. The last four games of the year, it's Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, and Miami. So there is um there is an element where, you know, we have some winnable games on the back end where we should be able to compete with those teams. And everyone said their first 10 games of the year are the hard games. So they've gone five and two to start. So they're all in on it so far this year. It's fun to have. We're both from New York, Brad. I think it's fun to see the two New York teams succeeding so far this year. All right, that will do it here for this week's episode. Brad, thanks for joining me. Everyone can follow you on Twitter. It is at PFF underscore Brad. And I feel like you've been on every show on PFF over the last few weeks. So um, catch you um, kind of everywhere. But um, PFF um, Wire is the main one where you and Duck High go through all the news around the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So make sure to check that out and check out all the other great shows on PFF's YouTube and check out PFF.com as well for all the great article content coming out over there. And we will be back once again next week with a recap of what we hope to be an active trade deadline and much more. So see you then.